Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. As Paul was saying earlier, we're, we're in the middle of this challenge. We gather in his name. And this is really fantastic, I think, for us to be doing this because during COVID, you know, we weren't able to gather for a period there. And I think it really brought into question a lot of the things that we just do and sort of take for granted as a church because we weren't able to gather. And so it, it does ask the question, well, why do we gather? And uh, I understand that even now, you know, we still run church online. There's people who really benefit from that because they can't, you know, they have valid reasons why they, they can't physically be here. But then there's other people who have just seemed to, I think, lost sight of the necessity of, of gathering. And so for, for, you know, us as staff members as well, we have to think, well, why, why does this really matter? Today we're looking at preaching the word. And um, when we were di- started running church online, you know, it sort of started to occur to me, well, we're, we're making these videos of, of the, the preaching team here sending out sermons and, and, uh, and whatever. But I thought, but we could just as easily send you a link to the hottest preacher out there, you know, um, you don't have to watch us kind of thing. So why does it, you know, why does it have to be us? Because we have so much access to, we can listen to anyone anywhere if we want to. So w- w- what is, what's valid in this, um, in this 21st century context of actually gathering with other people and, and listening to someone preach? It's an interesting question. And, uh, and so for all of these gather in his name things, I think we will, you know, we're going to be going back to the Bible and saying, what does the Bible actually say? What's the picture that it gives us for who we are supposed to be as a church? And um, that's really exciting because it feels like a chance for us to kind of build from the ground up. And I really hope that for all of us who call the granary home, that we can do this together, that we can work together to, to build this thing from the ground up. And so when you look at some of these passages of Scripture, you can be confronted by the ways in which we fall short as a church. And I think there's two ways that you can respond to that. And one is to be cynical and go, well, we're not like that in those different ways. And certainly it's confronting for me as a preacher. But another way is to be inspired and actually go, what a beautiful vision that the Bible paints us for who we can be. And to actually take that on board and say, let's run with it. Let's, 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 um, you know, let's, repent of our failings in the past, celebrate the things that we've gotten right, and just keep running towards God to try and um, be more and more, uh, you know, the church that, that he would desire. So are you with me? Okay, we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3 and 4, starting in um, 3.10. And I want you to pay close attention to this because this is, this is put in the NIV as Paul's final charge to Timothy because um, Paul, St. Paul is in prison and he is, basically he expresses that he's at death's door. And this is his final charge to his disciple, Timothy, who is ministering in Ephesus. So these words, you know, a person's final charge is really important. So we've got to pay close attention to what he writes because it's, it's just as valid for us now as it was for Timothy in the first century. He writes, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's his final charge to Timothy. What would you want your final charge to be? I wonder. Final words are so important. We talk about famous last words. I found a few famous last words. Leonardo da Vinci, his final words were, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Wow, how does that make the rest of us feel? <laughs> Although I do hear the Mona Lisa is pretty underwhelming if you see it in real life. Um, Groucho, Mar Groucho Marx, uh, his, his uh, last words were, Die, my dear? That's the last thing I'll do. And my favourite one is Voltaire, who was a French atheist philosopher from the 18th century. He's on his deathbed and a priest came to him and urged him to renounce the devil. And he said, this is no time to make new enemies. <laughs> <laughs> we um, sadly lost uh, a, recently a beloved member of our church, Marilyn Hurd who many of you will have known and I'm sure loved, who was the head of our VIPs ministry for many years. And she actually was able to outline what she wanted to have in her funeral service. And one of the things that she wanted was quite simply, because it was here, just to have in big letters the word love on the screen. And that was basically her sort of final command in a way, because she knew, you know, you've got a captive audience at a funeral. And uh, she would have known, well, this is an opportunity not to be missed. And at the end of reflecting back on her life, she had come to see that that command to love was the most important. And, uh, and she wanted to, to put it there, very simple, but I thought very profound to witness, actually, that she could actually still speak to us even after she, she had, you know, left her body. If you only had a week or so to live, what would you want to make sure kept happening after you were gone? Because Paul wants Timothy to make sure that the gospel continues to be preached. The gospel which Paul had suffered for, given his life for, wouldn't just disappear after he died, but that he could 
confidently know that in Timothy and his other disciples, that the gospel would continue to be preached after he had gone. What's something that if you only had a week to live, you would want to make sure that it kept happening after you were gone? I'd like you to chat to two or three people around you and share your answers, okay? And you can't, you can't just say, oh, I guess it'd be the same as Paul because that's the right answer. You can just, you know, whatever, whatever is, is um, you know, is, is right for your context. Maybe you'd want to make sure that the, I don't know, lawn continues to be mowed after you've gone or something. Um, you've got a minute to exchange. Just turn to some people around you and share your ideas. Make a friend. All right, I'm going to have to cut you off just um, for lack of time, but you can, uh, you can continue that conversation afterwards if you like. To those of you who really, really hate that sort of thing, like really hate talking to the person next to you, I am sorry, but you could have stayed at home. Uh, you could have watched this message online if you wanted to, but you chose to come and sit next to a real flesh, flesh and blood human being. So, um, so why not speak to them? Call me old-fashioned. So we're going to look at this passage that I read to you because in it, Paul, is, his, his dying wish, as I say, is that, that the word, the gospel, would continue to be preached after he's gone. And in this passage, he, he lays out for us three things about preaching. What it isn't, firstly, because we can have a lot of concept, you know, misconceptions about what preaching is supposed to be, and he outlines for us what it isn't, which is important. And then secondly, thankfully, what it is, and then lastly, what it's for. Why do we do this? Why do we bother gathering and listening to someone like me, um, you know, speak for, you know, an hour? An hour. <laughs> uh, lock the doors. Let's look at what it isn't. He says in 3.13, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What preaching isn't is uh, it's not a chance for some kind of spiritual guru to get up and um, just deliver pops of gold from their own wealth of, of knowledge and life experience. I'm not preach. I haven't been given this um, responsibility, and it is a responsibility, but I haven't been given it because I'm some sort of I'm somehow closer to God. I mean, I am, but that's not why I've been given <laughs> the responsibility. No, it's a great relief for someone like me to know that because you can, you can think, oh, I have to get up and just really, you know, blow you all away with these incredible, you know, one-liners or something like that that you know, it's going to change your life or something as you write it down. I'm sure that you are all far more experienced, far wiser than me in, in just about every single area. So it's not about that. It's about me actually, hopefully, delivering to you God's truth, not my own truth. Churches in which the preacher sets themselves up or set themselves up as spiritually superior are liable to exploit people. It creates a situation in which the congregation can be exploited because they've turned the person with a microphone into, uh, into some sort of, um, of authority, some kind of like demigod sort of status. And, uh, and that is always, always going to end badly. It's not to say that we... Um, we just, you know, take no heed of what the person with the microphone has, says, I hope. But that we, that through them, we should actually be being drawn more and more into submission to the authority of God, not to human authority. So that, um, you know, the preaching should be bringing people into the wonder and amazement uh, of God, not, not of, of, you know, 
my or whoever else's preaching's um, ability to talk or something. If you don't place people on a pedestal when they're winning, then you won't be waylaid when they fall. And sadly, we've seen many, you know, Christians of significance fall and have these terrible, um, uh, I guess, these, make these terrible decisions in their life. And if you actually, you know, if your faith is centering around those figures, then um, you're going to be waylaid and really thrown off when, when it turns out they're actually not perfect, they're just human. Um, but if you actually look at that person as, as just a, a fellow human being, but someone who can actually point you to God, well, then you might be disappointed, but you're not going to be completely thrown off the path. Does that make sense? It's not about gurus. It's also not about comfort. In 4 verse 3, he says, The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I find this verse really interesting because I don't know exactly what Paul had in mind when he was writing that down, but I I can't help but think that what he's describing is a time that we are already in right now. Because we have the ability to surround it, to, you know, to in the digital age, we can we can read that article, we can listen to that podcast, we can watch that video, and we can curate for ourselves this smorgasbord of sermons and messages which um, don't confront us but just make us feel good. I don't want to listen to that, I don't want to hear about that, but I want to listen to this. And so it's kind of like we can it can be misleading. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, but they do. But our, our um, you know, the infinite wealth of access actually allows us to, um, to put the word of God at, our, at the mercy of our own will so that we actually just, we just don't allow ourselves to ever be confronted. And instead, we're just feeding ourselves um, the things that we want to hear rather than allowing the word to change us. Because gathering around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, I don't know exactly what that would have looked like in a first century context, but certainly in our context, it's very easy to picture and to understand, isn't it? So we need to, um, we need to not approach preaching like that, that it's, that it's just to kind of make us feel comfortable because we can very easily do that and that's a misuse of, of, um, of what the gift of preaching is supposed to be for. And our churches can run the risk of becoming these hidey holes where we just have our own thoughts and our own opinions just echoed back to us. And that's, we sort of just come to kind of like, just, you know, just to kind of be reassured in, in, um, in what we think and believe. So it's not about gurus. It's not about comfort. So what is preaching supposed to be? Well, I, I think that Paul demonstrates here that it's meant to be three things. It's meant to be scriptural, it's meant to be communal, and it's meant to be orthodox. He says in 315, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, preaching is supposed to be complementary to Scripture, not a substitute for it. So you can't just come along on a Sunday and think that, you know, just hearing one person speak is going, can, that can just be your fill of, of Scripture for the week. You should actually be getting into the Bible yourself individually in your own life throughout the week. And I understand that not all of us are bookish or like reading or whatever, but 
We could at the very least be in a small group, a connect group, where the Bible is being read regularly and deeply or, you know, in some sort of like a BDC group where you're meeting with one or two other people to read the Bible on a regular basis. Or, of course, now you can have the Bible read to you on your phone and you can listen to it. But you want to be immersed in Scripture yourself so that when you come along on a Sunday, um, you're actually hearing the word preached in the context of your own growing understanding of the Bible. You know, lest I get up here and start throwing heresy at you and you've got no idea because you've got no understanding of the Bible yourself. Um, I'm not, by the way. But, you know, that's why it's really important that you have an ever-increasing understanding of the Scriptures and we've we've all got work to do in that area. Paul writes, I give you this charge, preach the word. That's what we're meant to be preaching. We're meant to be having the Bible illuminated to us, the truth of the Bible illuminated to us when we gather like this to hear someone preach. It's not for preachers to work out what they want to say, what acts they've got to grind and then just see if they can find a few abstract verses which seem to confirm what they already think. It's um, for us to actually go, what's the truth of the Bible and how can I illuminate that to the community of believers? Because the Bible is a text par excellence. It's not just one good Christian text amongst many. It is the word of God, unlike any other. And, uh, and so we need to submit to the, the teaching and the authority of the Bible. And, and preaching should just be bringing that to life, not being brought into submission of our own thoughts and our opinions. Paul writes, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I read one commentary that was talking about that idea of in season and out of season, and that sometimes when the word is preached, it feels like it's in season. It just it just kind of goes over well. And other times it feels like it's out, se- out of season, and that kind of looks like it somehow is an affront to the, the society or the, the community um, in which it's being delivered. But you, you preach in season and out of season, and society throughout the ages is, is kind of like this. It will chop and change its, its um, position on things, its values and its beliefs and all of that. But the word of God is consistent throughout time. And so there's going to be times when it's more in line with the, with the um, culture on, on certain things and there's other times when it's going to, be, it's going to um, be, seem further away. But, either, but the, same, the word of God remains the same and it continues to be preached. And that's what Paul's... Um, That is what Paul is advocating, that the word continues to be preached even after he's gone. And it says, as I said before, it says that the word is there to correct, rebuke and encourage. So we as a community should be gathering around the word. That's what this should be about so that we are changed by it, that we actually do come with the expectation that I'm, I'm actually here not just to be affirmed, but actually to be changed communal. So it's got to be scriptural and it has to be communal. Verse 3, verse 14, I mean, chapter 3, 14, it says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you have learnt it. So Paul's stressing at the beginning, Timothy, you know me, you know what I've gone through, you know the people who have um, taught this to you. And so you know that you can trust us. 
And I think it's really important to be engaging with the word in a community where even if you don't personally know the preacher, you at least know the context from which they're preaching you and you, you might know a bit of their story. You actually understand that it's not just a dismembered idea, but it's actually located in a person, in a group of people in community so that you can understand where it's coming from. You can understand its effect on the, peop- on the lives of people around you. Because if we are only listening to sermons that are, you know, on the radio or on the podcast or something like that, then they might be lovely ideas. But until we actually understand the word in the context of people, in the context of of our life and the life of the person sitting next to me, then it can just remain an intellectual pursuit and it doesn't become a, a heart truth. Because intellectual ideas, they can be, they can come and go. But when you actually, when something is born out of relationship, when you're actually in a, you know, in a community of love, then that's a lot harder to deny. So it's scriptural, it's communal, and the last thing is it's orthodox. It says the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. So we can't just assume that God's truth will endure for the next generations. It's on all of us collectively to, to ensure that the preaching of the eternal truth continues after, all, after we've gone. You know, what we have in, in, in the good news, in the word, is, is a, a great treasure that has been handed down to us over centuries, over millennia. And, um, and do, we, do we treat it like that? Like that what we have is something that's incredibly precious and actually, if you look at the history of the world, has had to go through so much to arrive to us, so many generations faithfully passing it on to get to us here. And now it's beholden on us to make sure that we are a community that, that subscribes to the orthodox truth. And by that, I just simply mean the same truth that Jesus came to, to bring to us, the good news, 2,000 years ago is the same truth which we have today. And it's not being muddied, it's not being watered, it's not becoming something else. It's the orthodox truth. G.K. Chesterton puts it like this. People have fallen into a foolish habit of speaking of orthodoxy as something heavy, humdrum and safe. There was never, never anything so perilous or so exciting as orthodoxy. It was sanity. And to be sane is more dramatic than to be mad. It was the equilibrium of a man, I love this image, of a man behind madly rushing horses, seeming to stoop this way and sway that, yet in every attitude having the grace of statuary and the accuracy of arithmetic. It is always simple to fall. There are are an infinity of angles at which one falls, but only one at which one stands. To have fallen into any one of the fads from Gnosticism to Christian science would indeed have been obvious and tame, but to have avoided them all has been one whirling adventure. And in my vision, the heavenly chariot flies thundering through the ages, the dull heresies sprawling and prostrate, the wild truth reeling but erect. It's a great image, isn't it? Um, this image of, of the orthodox truth, you know, like um, a person behind a, a stampede of rushing horses having to duck this way and weave that but to stay standing so that it continues to fly on is the image of God's truth that we have handed down to us. 
So that's what preaching should be. And lastly, what is it for? Why, why do we gather here like this? Well, it says in 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. One of the commentaries talks about the fact that God-breathed here means not only its inspiration, so how it was made, but also its profitableness, so what it's actually good for. Because, of course, Timothy would have known that it was God-breathed, so Paul's not just saying, saying that. He's also saying what you actually have in the Bible is the breath of God. So that as, as we preach, we should come with the expectation that as the word is preached, that, that God is breathing into us new life and that his spirit is actually coming to us, making us come alive through the preaching of his word. And it says that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you come along to hear the word preached, do you come along as a servant of God? Do you actually see yourself, I'm a servant of God and I'm coming along to hear the word of God so that I can be taught, rebuked, corrected and trained up in righteousness so that I might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to see ourselves like that, coming along to actually allow ourselves to be changed through the preaching of the word. It's kind of like a healthy diet. I feel like a good diet has variety. Variety is the spice of life. And um, if you just want to immerse yourself only in the kinds of sermons or only in the kinds of passages that make you feel good, it's kind of like having too much of a, of a good thing, you know. It's like if your diet only consisted of, of your favourite food, well then, you know, that might seem nice in theory, but over the long term it's actually going to end badly for you. I remember when I worked at a Porto and um, they did the uh, little tubs of mashed potato and gravy and um, you can get them at KFC and stuff. And I, I used to used to really like it. Then I had to start making it. And um, you get a couple of sachets of powder that you have to um, pour. Some people have worked at KFC. You have to pour hot water into and whisk it up in order to create mashed potato. And one day was doing it and my ratios were all off. So I'd put all the tubs together and I suddenly had a whole bowl left over of this mashed potato that I'd whisked up. But fortunately, I really liked mashed potato, or mashed potato. So I just decided to consume the rest of it myself. And I just sat out the back with the bowl and just um, slowly ate a whole mixing bowl full of um, this whisked up mashed potato. And um, I felt incredibly ill. And, uh, and I haven't touched the this, this stuff since. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what it can be like if our, you know, if our approach to, to the word is the same just surrounding ourselves with the kinds of messages that we like to hear, with the kinds of passages from the Bible that we feel comfortable with. It seems nice at first, but eventually we're going to make ourselves nauseous. And uh, we actually need to be submitting to the full realm of Scripture. And so when you actually come and you sit week after week in a church like this one, you're, you're submitting yourself to the variety of, of, of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that you're submitting yourself to a, a, a variety of themes being preached on. Like this year we're moving through the different core values of the church and going, look, some weeks I'm going to come away feeling really encouraged. And other weeks I might go away feeling convicted about something. And that's okay. That's good because we're being trained up to produce good works. We're actually servants who are getting our marching orders, being trained up to fight the good fight. It's no good for us to hear sermon week after week if it's not resulting in good works. 
We need to be a church that is transformed spiritually by the preaching of Scripture. The world should be positively affected because of the teaching that we sit under. Let's pray. Dear God, would you breathe into us this morning? We have been imperfect as a church in many ways, in our attitude towards the preaching of the word, handling of the word at times, but you've given us here a glorious vision. And so I just pray that we will all come under your authority, that we will take up that mantra as a servant of God. I actually get to serve God. I get to be trained to become better and stronger and and more like you and to actually go out and make a difference in the world. You know, you've actually called us to make a real difference in the world, to produce a harvest of good works. So, Lord, I just ask that we would all humble ourselves under your authority, that you would breathe into us fresh life today, and that we would see in this church a harvest of good works. Amen. 